Good morning and welcome to Wasatch Christian Church. We are once again uh, placing our messages on YouTube and on a podcast so those who can't be here can listen. So we enjoy, we invite you to join us and to seek God in His Word and stay together and uh, to be molded into God's will this day that God would use us in His fashion. We're going to start by reading in Psalm 139, verses 14 to 16. Uh, this morning I'll be reading out of the Bible in basic English, so it'll be a little bit different than what we normally do out of the New American Standard, but it states this. The psalmist writes, I will give you, you being God, I will give you praise, for I am strangely and delicately formed. Your works are great wonders, and of this my soul is fully conscious. My frame was not unseen by you when I was made secretly. And you strangely formed in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, all my days were recorded, even those which were proposed before they had come into being. We read this out of Psalm 139 and realize that God has shaped us and molded us as we were born. He intended us to do something from the very beginning even before we were aware of his presence and aware of his design for us. And what God did in that shaping and molding is he shaped us and molded us and created us each individually for a specific purpose, a ministry, a place in God's will and God's kingdom, all leading to his glory. So as we come together this morning, we realize that no one is an accident. No one is a failure. But all of us have been designed and created by God himself with his very own hands. We carry the fingerprints of God upon our, our bodies and our lives and our soul, and we were made for a purpose. So the question we want to deal with this morning is this. What does it take to be used by God in his purpose? What does it take to be used by God in his purpose? Now, for Christians, that may sound like an odd thing. It's like, what do you mean? I'm saved. I've come to God. I, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. But I want to ask you, what does it take to be really used by God and His purpose to the full intent instead of just a little bit? Let me start off by asking an odd question to kind of see where you fit in this. Would you consider yourself a salmon or a jellyfish? A salmon or a jellyfish? Now, that sounds kind of odd, but there's a point to it. Let me describe to you the differences between a salmon and a jellyfish to kind of make it make sense a little bit. Salmon begin their lives in the fresh waters, cold fresh waters, the frigid northwest. But not long after they're born, they begin a long swim downstream. Their destination is the ocean. And here they spend the majority of their adult lives in the ocean. But then somewhere, sometime, years after their lives, something strange happens that even scientists can't explain yet. These salmon, after living years in the ocean, turn around and they swim back to where they were born. Now they head back up, and I'm sure all of you have seen the stuff on National Geographic and the other PBS shows, where it shows the salmon struggle to get back to its home, back to its origin, to its original destination, that uh, they're going up levels and layers of rivers running downstream and fighting against the current. They're fighting against predators such as bears and people, and they're making all this extreme effort to get back to the origin place, back to where it all began. They swim upstream against the current, 
and they face all that and they don't stop until they are either taken out or they finally arrive. They come back to the exact spot where they were born. In my mind, it's kind of like a person returning back to their creator in salvation for direction. Now, does that describe your life? Does your life have a destination, a purpose, a, a God-given purpose that you are seeking to get back into God's presence and His will, back to the place of origin where it all began? Has God molded you in His hands? Are you like a salmon seeking to get back to that closeness with God? To see how He's molded you and what He's created you for and what He would have you to do to go against all obstacles, all resistance, all effort against you. Well, if so, if that's your life and describes you, then you're like a salmon in God's kingdom. But then, there's the jellyfish. Y'all know I'm seeing the jellyfish, right? There are these numerous species of yucky-looking little creatures, kind of translucent. Some of them are extremely tiny. They look like little rollos. Others have long tentacles and stretch for feet. Jellyfish are born in the ocean, and they die in the ocean. They really go nowhere. They have limited movement, uh, and they never really go in one direction. In fact, jellyfish, although they do have a little bit of propulsion, typically they're moved along primarily by the wind, the waves, and the tides. They drift about, stinging and surviving and eating, just floating through the ocean as the current takes them. Once in a while, one of them will end up on a beach and ruin your vacation if you get stung by them. But other than that, they just kind of float through life with no intent, no purpose, just being there. Now, what's the obvious question? Does that describe you as a Christian? Do you find that you really haven't got a purpose or a destination in life, in church, in God's kingdom, that you've never really asked or you've kind of not been with God for a while and you really don't know what his purpose for your life is. You don't have a point that you're going to. You're just kind of being carried along by the waves of life. Wherever it takes you, you eat, you sleep, you float. Does that describe you? You see, the problem with the kind of life of a jellyfish this is you really don't ever accomplish anything. There's no significance. I mean, we see the stories on PBS with jellyfish floating through and we're like, well, that's cool, but what do they do? I mean, God made them in that, and they're just kind of there. What do they do? But when we look at the salmon, we're often quite impressed by how they, once again, go against the current to reach their destination. They fight against all obstacles. They, they let nothing stop them to get to where they know they should be as God ordained them. Now, there are those who just float through life and just float through Christianity and float through fellowship and church. And there are those who seem to have a purpose. They're really used by God and it's intentful. It's on purpose. Let's realize as we begin that God created us for a purpose and he sends us into the world with a purpose. If you read at the end of Matthew and the Great Commission, God sends us out to the ends of all the earth. Now, that doesn't mean that each of us goes to the ends of all the earth, but we are to share that gospel. In John 17, verse 18, we read this as Jesus speaks. He says, As you, Father God, sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. You see, there is a commissioning, a sending forth, a sending out, that when we come to salvation, God, 
and he fills us with that Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us. That Spirit leads and guides us with the purpose that God creates us, and he sends us out to go on. The second thing that's part of this purpose in God, that's being used by God, this mission in God, this part of God's will, is that part of that is to carry on the gospel message of Jesus. Of sharing the word of God, of leading others to Jesus, they may come to salvation too. I mean, fact is, you and I all came to salvation. Why? Because someone shared the message of Jesus with us. The message of being saved by grace and not by works, not of our own efforts, of how important it is to realize that we are really all sinners and cannot avoid the eternity of hell on our own. That our future is hopeless and all is vanity unless we have salvation. We realize in this life that God has given us that someone shared the gospel message with us and we came to salvation and submitted to God. And that part of our purpose in life is to share that also. So, are you passing on the gospel message to others in their time of need? Now, those who are salmon people in God, and by the way, you won't find this in the Bible. This is just my take on it. Those of you that are salmon people of God have discovered that God has given you a purpose, a mission, and you seek to be used by God. Mission-oriented people are successful people who find and embark on their life's purpose. They learn the secret of being content and used by God. They do things intently, purposely. Now, when I say successful, it doesn't mean you're a multi-billionaire or anything like that, or you have a high position, but you are content in what God has called you to do, and you do that with all your might, with all your strength, and with all your heart. That you're sold out to God to do whatever He has called you to do. You do it to the best of your ability for His glory. And in doing that, you do it with a tremendously joyful, grateful attitude, a hilarious attitude, and you do it, and you come against all obstacles or all roadblocks that would stop you. Now, jellyfish people, even in the church, are often bitter, resentful. They're frustrated that God doesn't answer their prayers from their viewpoint. And they're always looking to why more people don't reach out to them or do things for them. You see, they just wander through life and like the analogy we had in communion of the nail, they feel resentful that the hammer is pounding them down. Now, realizing that the hammer and the nail are both used by the same master and intent for a purpose, that that nail's purpose in life is driven into a specific point by the carpenter to hold something together and to firmly establish it. But a jellyfish Christian sees that action as this hammer is just beating them down hurting them, wounding them, pounding them, and they're resentful. So as we think about this, whether we're a salmon for God or a jellyfish for God, we want to ask God this week and next week on how we can be used by God. How we can switch around our perspective from God's point of view to realize that God is disciplining us. He's calling us into obedience. As the Bible tells us that God disciplines those he loves. And it's a good thing because it puts us back on that straight and narrow path. It puts us in God's will to where we go intently, purposely, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit with all the resources that we need, and we go forward knowing 
that we are glorifying God by fulfilling what He has called us to do in life. Whether it's caring for a child, whether it's caring for a home or providing for a home, whether it's caring for a church, whether it's being an evangelist, whatever that may be, do it to the best of your ability. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. As we see, Paul is telling young Timothy how to deal with some difficult problems in the church of Ephesus where Timothy was ministering. This is a spiritual father to a spiritual son talk as he is speaking to Timothy about the things he needs to bring to this church that has kind of gone astray, to bring them back in line to be used by God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20-23 states this. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, now remember this verse, because when the Bible says, therefore, you always want to see what, what it's there for. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from useful, useful lust and pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace with the one who called on the Lord from a pure heart. Now Paul is using this illustration, talking about a large house, that in a large house there's all kinds of different vessels and containers, pots and pans. There's gold and silver ones, which are in the little cabinets that are kept for special occasions. They're always clean, they're always dusted. You bring them out for places of honor. And then there are the earthenware, the other vessels that are there. And they're still serving a purpose, but first Tim or second Timothy says they're a dishonorable purpose, meaning they're just there to do the everyday things, to carry wood in and out to be used, to be uh, filled up with stuff in the kitchen and then just stuck away in a container someplace, or perhaps in biblical times to be used to carry the human garbage and human waste out. These vessels get broke quite often because they're used all the time for mundane things and they're simply replaced when they're broken. All are given a purpose in the Christian life, purposes beyond themselves, but those that choose to sanctify themselves in God are given places of honor. Again, verse 21 tells us this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, and prepared for every good work. In other words, those that devoutly, committingly, submittingly, give their life to God, to conform to his will, to his way, to set themselves apart from the way of the world will be used in a place of honor, not for the average and the ordinary. You see, spiritual cleanliness beats out spiritual cleverness. That some people come into the church and they try to be clever and outsmart everybody and show how great they are or how they can talk a lot but not do anything. But spiritual cleanliness is a key point in being used by God. So we look at this point one. God uses cleansed people. You and I must choose what type of vessel we will be. A vessel for honor or a vessel for dishonor. Now clearly Paul's given us a choice and we say, well, aren't both used by God? Yes, they are. But here's the decision that you and I get to make. 
We get to choose to be a vessel for dishonor, like the jellyfish just floating around, taking the wide, easy road, really doing nothing. Or we can choose to be that vessel of honor, that salmon for God that is driven and lets nothing stop it to reach its destination, its purpose in life. Now Paul uses this same illustration of these vessels in a different place in Romans chapter 9, verses 21 to 23, um, with a different emphasis. And we read this, Romans 9, 21 to 23. Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make the form the same lump from one vessel for honor and another to be used for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand. In this section in Romans, God is emphasizing his sovereignty to choose how to use each vessel. But when we go back and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, we realize that in that, God gives us a choice in choosing to be a vessel of honor instead of a vessel of dishonor. And it's in choosing to cleanse ourselves, one, from false beliefs, and one, to adhere to obedience and discipline in the Lord. False beliefs, let's deal with that one. There are a lot of false beliefs in the church that people say things like this. Once I come to salvation, I can live life on my terms, and God will still accept me into heaven because I said a prayer at one time. In other words, I can do whatever I want because I said the invitation prayer to bring God to my heart. He'll still let me into heaven. After becoming a Christian, I don't have to do anything else in my life for God. It's one and done done. Or I can continue to purposely sin, and God will forgive me because he loves me. Or, God would not allow me to go through hard and troubled times because he's a loving God and would not let me go through that. Or, God will always answer my prayers the way I want him to. Or, God does not expect me to change after salvation. Or, I don't have to be in regular fellowship because God is with me. Or, the church is here for my needs. So if it doesn't meet my needs, I don't need to stick around and help change the situation. Well, those are common things we hear all the time, right? But God is sovereign. And God does get to choose how he uses us. But as 2 Timothy tells us, in that, God allows us a moral choice, a spiritual choice, in how God will use us. Because God does use bad people as we've looked at in the past. I mean, he's used Satan and the demons that oppose him to overcome them. We see back in Moses' day, God raised up Pharaoh to come against him to show the greatness of God to lead his people out in that exodus. We see that in Jesus' time, God used even Judas to accomplish his will. That God can use bad people to accomplish his good will. And in that, even in the church, as we are sanctified in God, God will use us for a purpose, but we have a moral, spiritual decision that of how we seek God and continue to be changed by Him, conform to His image, to do His will over our will, that God can use us for a vessel of honor or for a vessel of dishonor. 
So if you're thinking in salvation you're just a robot and you have no choice in the matter, well, 2 Timothy says you're wrong. The Bible states that we are all a responsible moral agent that still, even after salvation, gets to make those choices. I mean, the fact is, even in salvation, do you still have the freedom to choose to sin? Absolutely. God allows you that choice. Should you do that? No. But we can choose to do that. So we see the next point is this. Cleansing ourselves is our responsibility. Again, verse 21 of 2 Timothy 2. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, Paul says we need to cleanse ourselves. Now that sounds odd because we know that we can't bring about salvation in our own efforts, right? We can't get rid of our sins in our own efforts. We need God to do that to sanctify us. But, we do have a choice after salvation how we choose to live and whom we choose to serve. Let's put it this way. Now, this may hit too close to home for me, so if I start crying, please forgive me. But if I come home to a dirty house after the day and... Um, I've been out all day long, and I walk in, and I see stuff all over the house, the dirty dishes, the yard needs to be done, my clothes need to be put away, there's some laundry that needs to be done, floor needs to be swept up a little bit, the table needs to cleaned off, be cleaned off, there's a couple bills I need to pay, and I come in, and I see all that before me, and I've got a couple hours in the evening, and I don't do that. Whose fault is that? It's my fault. Because I see the situation, and I choose to do nothing about it. Well, just in case you're wondering, and here's where it hits too close to home for me, that's a jellyfish decision, right? We see the situation and we do nothing about it. We just kind of float back in going, oh, it's been such a long day, I just need a break, i got to rest. So I'm going to sit down on the couch and turn the TV on for six hours to veg out. Okay? That's a jellyfish decision. What's a salmon decision? To see a situation where something needs to be done and to... Do something about it. To take action. You see, again, we remember that people that live in a place of honor, salmon people, are people of action. Doers of the word. Not merely hearers only who delude themselves. They see, they take responsibility, and they do. They drive forward. Now, yes, they're still tired, right? Given that. But they know they have responsibilities that need to be taken care of and over caring for their house, those responsibilities come above their comfort. So they dive in and they do the difficult things until they're done. Even if we look at the picture of communion, which we shared in this morning, and both Matthew and 1 Corinthians, we see Jesus taking on the role of what? A slave, a servant. The least servant in the house. And we see him in those two sections of scripture that he washes the disciples' feet. Now we think about that, it's kind of an odd thing, because their feet were probably clean in the morning, and spiritually, they were probably with Jesus all day long. So why do they need to be cleansed? Because as they walked through the world, the dirt and the dust collected on their feet and their sandals, didn't it? As they went through the world and their daily tasks and their journeys, just by going through the world, they were dirty. So that as they come into someone's house, the servant would come out with a basin of water and a towel, and he would take off their sandals, and he would clean their dusted feet. Now again, let's say their feet were clean in the morning, and let's say for the disciples, 
They were with Jesus all day long. How much more spiritual can you get than that? But as they travel through this world, this world filled with sin, the dust clings to them, right? And so they need to be cleansed. Now when you read through that, we see something very interesting in Matthew and 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Peter struggled with that. Because he's like, no, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. Because he saw Jesus as the Savior, but he didn't see Jesus as a servant. And he didn't see the message of what Jesus was saying to him that we as Christians are going to serve, to be active, to be doing again, to be seeking to cleanse the life of others. And to realize in our life, as we walk through this world on our daily basis, I mean, you see the billboards, the TV programs, the radio, the course, just as we walk through this world, we may have a great devotional time in the morning, but what happens throughout the day? We see things we don't want to see. We hear things. We participate in things. We make decisions. We're surrounded by sin. So we get dirty. And we need to choose to cleanse ourselves. To confess those sins to God, to realize that as we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, that he cleanses us. To choose to be vessels of honor, to be used by God. In essence, in salvation, in a rough way of putting it, it's not a one-and-done situation of being sanctified. That in that moment of salvation, we are sanctified and made holy by God. But from that point on, sanctification is also an ongoing process in this refinement process of being cleansed of the bad things in our life and being more purified to the right things in life. Of saying, less of the world, less of my way, less of who's caring for me and what's good for me, to, God, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? How would you have me to serve? And Lord, help my heart to do it with joy, with a smile on my face, with a good attitude to glorify you. Now Christians, as we choose to cleanse ourselves to be vessels of honor, we realize this thing, that salmon Christians, men and women who are used by God, are three things. This is part of our goal. One, they're sanctified. They are set apart for God. They do His will over their will or the will of the world. And again, they do it joyfully. Number two, they are useful. They are ready to do whatever God wants them to do. No question, no regret, no resentment. Just to be in God's will and in God's way is all that makes for a wonderful day for them. To be used by God, they realize to wake up in the morning and come to the bed at the end of the night and say, God used me today in these ways. Praise the Lord for His purpose and His will. And number three, they're prepared for every good work. The house is clean, the dishes are done, there's food in the fridge to share, and plans can be changed at a moment's notice. Remember those vessels of honor? They're kept clean, right? The gold, the silver, they're polished, they're kept clean. They're put back in a place where they don't get soiled and used just for average everyday purposes so that when a guest comes over, what's brought out? And what's put away? The regular stuff is put away. The things of honor are brought out. They're ready to serve an honored guest. It's an essence of discipline issue. A choice that we make to be active, to be doing, to be that salmon. To overcome the obstacles of excuses of, I'm tired, I can't, well, I just don't have the ability, I don't understand. The vessels of honor seek what God would have them do. They rely on the Holy Spirit. They go to God and study in prayer and 
they find a way to do it. In essence, the Bible calls them, they're what? Overcomers. They accomplish things for God. This week, my hope for you and me is that we choose to be vessels of honor. The challenge in even putting this message together this morning is to realize in the places where I am thinking lots of excuses, where I walk in and there's more stuff to do than I can get to it, but the fact is, even if things seem overwhelming as we face them, if we go at them and do a little bit every day and whittle away at these things, what happens? Over time, we accomplish our goal. The goal of the Christian life of being that salmon is a lifelong journey. It's not done in a day, not done in a week, and then we get to relax. It's a lifetime event until Jesus decides our time is done and it's time to come home to meet him face to face. This week, may you choose to be a vessel of honor for God. May you choose to be used by God to be purposeful. May you choose to be that salmon that overcomes obstacles and barricades and excuses. May you choose to sit down with God this week and say, God, what is your purpose for me? How can I be used by you? And every night as you go to bed, to look back over the day and say, this is what I did for the Lord. This is where I was useful and purposeful for God. Glory to Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you. And Lord, we have so many distractions and challenges in life. We pray that you would be with us to choose to be active doers, used by you, submitted to the Holy Spirit and his leading, Lord, that we would accomplish your will, that we could be vessels of honor instead of vessels of dishonor, knowing that you use both, Lord. You still have a purpose and a place for both. But, Lord, you give us the choice in how we will be used. I pray this morning, Lord, that the message of 2 Timothy would sink into our hearts, that we would choose to be sanctified in you, 